Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. you to get out your copy of, of God's Word, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, and um, familiar verse, we were there uh, two weeks ago when I last spoke, but this is a, a different scene all together. Um, awkwardness, right? Um, we just had an awkward moment there with me and my microphone. Um, awkwardness is just a part of my life, and I think for all of us in this room, we've had those awkward moments. It just comes with life, some more than others. And a lot of my awkwardness comes in in these two areas. I'm nearsighted, but I'm also, my brain is weird. It's like my thought processes are like three or four steps ahead of my actions. And so, or is it my actions three or four steps ahead of my thought processes? You see what, I'm, what I mean? It's just awkward, right? Being Dave Meyer sometimes. But I usually would do this, and, and I've kind of lost um, some hope there in this, in this regard. When I was out in public and I would see people, maybe you understand this, this emotion, I'm out in public and I see people that I think from afar, because I'm nearsighted, I think from afar, I know that person. And I'll, I'll wave at them or I'll, I'll yell across the store, hey, so-and-so, to grab their attention. And they turn around and they are not the person I thought they were. Awkward, right? And so i just given up. I've given up greeting people in public. So if you ever come across Dave Myers in public arena and I'm like, I don't wave at you, if we're at the stoplight together, or if I don't, uh, if I don't acknowledge you in the store, it's not because I'm snooty or a snob, but it's because of my mind. I'm having this internal debate going on. Is this the person I think it is or not? So do me a favor, come up to me, greet me, put me at ease, you know, but uh, awkwardness. We all experience it. And awkwardness comes in moments where we're not expecting it. And in this passage in Luke chapter 7, this is an awkward moment, probably the most awkward of moments in the ministry of Jesus Christ. You see, there is a woman who came to a party that she was not invited to. And it caused the the host of this party a lot of awkwardness. It caused a lot of awkwardness with the people that had gathered to be a part of this dinner party. The only person that did not find this moment awkward was Jesus himself. And this is how Luke describes it um, in Luke 7, beginning in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to eat with him. Now, we're going to find out later on that this man was Simon, and he was one of the leading Pharisees of the city. And so, He came and entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head and began kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now, in order for you to understand what is going, to, what is going to take place um, throughout this passage, you have to understand the scene. 
In Jesus' day, if someone prominent like Jesus was passing through town, it was the obligation of the leading uh, religious figure of that city to host you for a dinner party. And this dinner party was not held inside, but it was held outside for all to visit, all to see. Now, Simon, being the leading religious figure of that city, invited Jesus into his home. Now, Simon did not invite Jesus into his home because he loved Jesus or he appreciated Jesus. No, he was trying to entrap Jesus. We see that in the passages before Luke chapter 7. The Pharisees were out to get this man who claimed to be the very son of God. So this, this, uh, this invitation to have this banquet at, at Simon's house was one of scrutiny, not one of, of tremendous fellowship. And Jesus knew that when he entered the, the scene. So when he came into this, this scene, the, the table, the banquet table, be laid out in the courtyard in front of the house. And so the invited guests would get around and they would recline um, on the ground around this table. And then this is what would take place. They would invite the surrounding neighborhood, the surrounding community to come in and be a part of this banquet. Now, they were not allowed to uh, engage or interact or disturb what was going on around the table. They were there just to watch what was going on. It was their social entertainment of the day, right? This was their social media event. This was the highlight of their week or their month or their year. And so you have surrounding them around the perimeters of that courtyard would be probably ten, tens of people just surrounding, just gawking, looking around, whispering to one another what was taking place around that table. And, and it was braggadocious, yeah. It was, it was um, uh, something to brag about in that community at that time. Look who I'm hosting. Look who showed up to my, to my dinner table. It was a place of prestige, a moment of, of pros- prosperity in regards to who was around that table. And so now you understand why it was so easy for this woman um, to be where she should not have been. That even though she was not invited to be around that table, she did what was uncouth in that day. She broke all social taboos of the day. Not only did she come uninvited, but she broke into the ranks around that table and began to engage the dinner guests. And not only the dinner guests, but the person of honor. Now, this woman, she was a sinner. That's what Luke describes her as. Simon will say that she is a sinner. And then Jesus, towards the very end of our passage today, he will also mention that she was a woman of many, many sins. So, for her to show up to the religious leader's house and do what she did was nothing more than scandalous. But she needed to see Jesus. And so she became the ultimate. Maybe she was the first party crasher, right? Where we get the term party crasher. She was the ultimate party crasher. It took a lot of courage, a lot of guts, a lot of tenacity for a woman like her to show up at a public event. And not only to show up at a public event, but to address and to engage Jesus in the way that she did. For everyone knew who she was. Now, I find find it very fascinating. The Bible does not give any time to mention her actual name. She was only known by her reputation. And I wonder how many of us this morning would, would show up to church or show up to any public event, 
per se, if we all knew your junk, if we all knew what you really struggled with, we all, if we all really knew what your true heart condition was like, would we, would we have the tenacity to show up? Will we come to church this morning if everyone knew that you were the greatest liar of all times? Would you grace our presence if we knew that you were a cheater? Would you show up to church if, if you were known to be someone who was in love with somebody else, but that person you were loved with is not your spouse? When you see what this woman went through and who she was, you can say anything you want about this woman and her, her life story and her life condition, but you've got to give it to her. She had a little moxie about her that she would walk in and do what she did. But she was on a mission. She was there to see Jesus. Now, I believe it wasn't her intention to create a scene that that happened to unfold. But she brought in with her not only her reputation, she also brought with her a broken heart. Now, there's a lot that we know of today in this this woke generation that we, we walk in today. Human trafficking, especially sex trafficking, is back on the forefront, and it ought to be. And the more you read up on those women who are sex trafficked, um, you realize that their lives are horrendous. And it was no different for this woman back in the ancient days of Jesus than it is today for women caught up in this kind of trafficking. She was a woman who not only was broken, but I would say she was devastated inside. And she had lived with this great devastation, this great wounding of her soul for so long that when she was in the presence of Jesus just for a few moments and she encountered unconditional love, probably for the first time in her life, unconditional love from a man. She simply lost it. And that's why you see when she comes in and she bows down at his feet and She begins to weep, and the way that Luke describes her, this weeping continues on for quite some time. And it comes out from a heart of this deep well of just a life in ruins. And she weeps, and the weeping is so much, she literally had to take her hair, unravel it, and begin to wipe his feet with it. And this is what I love about Jesus. While everyone else was aghast at what's going on, it seems as if Jesus didn't even flinch. And in that moment, he loved this woman greatly. She knew she was loved. She knew that she was not rejected by Jesus. She knew that she was accepted as who she was at his feet. And we know this because Jesus loved people like her. We don't know when she met Jesus. We don't think this was the first time that she encountered Jesus. It is possible that she saw, heard his teachings, saw the crowds, saw how he dealt with people just like her. This is not the first time that Jesus encountered a prostitute in his ministry. 
This is not the first time that he dealt with people that were outside of the norm of the culture. You see, Jesus loved people, no matter if they were the religious people of the day, all the way down to those who were despised in their own culture. He loves people. Jesus even said so. Last week, Pastor Tony shared out of Luke chapter 19, the story of Jesus a meeting and his encounter with Zacchaeus. And what was the response? People were aghast that Jesus would go to a home of a known sinner. And what was Jesus' response in Luke chapter 19, verse 10? He says, what are, you, what, are you, what are you guys all aghast about? I have come to seek and save those who were lost. So this woman who was lost this woman who was devastated by her sin, this woman who had such a horrible reputation, this is who Jesus is drawn to. And in that moment, she experienced unconditional grace. This made me kind of pause this week when I was reading this passage about the scene that was going on. It reminded me that, that Simon's banquet sometimes represents what modern-day church looks like. That we have all the religious people gathered together to fellowship together, to be seen. And then sometimes the church will, will kind of casually invite those who are on the peripheries of life, those who are downtrodden in life, those who are, who are, who are living a life that we would call sinners today. And we invite them on the periphery of our worship gatherings. We invite them on the periphery of our fellowship. And the more I begin to think about that, I, the more I begin to say, we have a great opportunity before us as the body of Christ. To not be aghast when someone who is very, very far from God or who has a reputation for, being, for living a hellish life comes and is a part of our worship gatherings. We should, we should want that. We should want people to, to invade our small groups and our, our fellowship times um, that are far from God in the hopes that when they encounter the grace of Jesus, it'll be done so around people that love them, not despise them. Not people who uh, roll their eyes or, or are aghast at their presence. And this is what I said, Lord, I, this is my prayer, you know, this week for us at Northbridge, that, that our church would be known as a place where all are invited, right? All are, are welcomed into our worship gatherings. All are welcomed into our fellowship for, for those that are far from Christ need to come near Christ. And how can they come near to Christ unless they are invited? And my encouragement to us as a church family that we would never cease to tire of inviting those who are far from God to join us for, for worship. And maybe you're here this morning. Um, maybe you're online joining us at, at the invitation of someone in this congregation. And, and you have never given your life to Christ. In fact, you, maybe you think that this, this the way we are Christians is just a little weird to you. That's okay. Welcome. I'm weird as well, and uh, I think I always stay weird. So you're you're welcome to that to that viewpoint. But church family, what would it be like if we would begin to pray, Lord, allow us to be a church where people like this woman 
are very welcomed in our fellowship. Well, Jesus highlights why this woman is there. In verse 39, this is what he says. He says, now when the Pharisee, that's Simon, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus responded and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. The one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he canceled the debts of both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I assume the one for whom he canceled the greatest debt. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet, my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. And for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven for she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. So very fascinating encounter that Jesus has with Simon. Simon was just thinking in his mind. He was just having a conversation in his head about how revolting this woman was. And Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking. And he spoke directly to his ill-perceived notions about this woman. And he lays it out there for him, and he lays it out there for us, too. The, 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 the little illustration he gives is this. Two people went to a loan shark. One went and asked the loan shark for $50. The other one went to the loan shark and asked for $50,000. One day, the loan shark had a, had a change of heart, and he became a good man. He said, you know what? I'm forgiving everyone their debts. Now, would the $50 debtor or the $50,000 debtor be the one who would be more gracious and thankful for the debt. Well, obviously, it's the one with the, with the greatest amount of debt. And what Jesus was getting at with this little short illustration was to say to Simon, Simon, you are no different than this woman. Now, her sins may be greater than your sins in your own mind, but in reality, both of you are in debt and both of you need forgiveness. And what this woman knew in the very few moments that she spent in the presence of Jesus, she knew more about the grace of God than a man who spent years of his life studying religious document after religious document, studying scriptures, knew about this God and his salvation. Jesus reveals to us that everyone is indebted to God because of our sins. Because of our sins, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here is the the deal on God's test of our self-righteousness. You see, we all flunk God's test of righteousness. We all get an F because we are all born with sin in our lives. And the sin has to be dealt with. The sin has to be pardoned or punished. And it can be pardoned when we receive God's forgiveness in our life. 
Yet most people will go through life and they will believe that God is grading some way on a curve. And that because of their own um, goodness, because of their own abilities, they believe that they, they don't need a God who needs to sacrifice anything on their behalf. They don't need the shed blood of Jesus to cover them in their self-righteousness. They are self-made people and they don't need this type of forgiveness. I believe one of the greatest and most dangerous sins in all life is not the sin that this woman had. The greatest sin was in the heart of Simon. It's the sin of self-righteousness. It's the sin that says, I'm good enough. Thank you, God. I don't need any of your help. And I'm good enough that I believe that through my goodness, I can merit heaven on my own. You see, Simon could see this woman's sins. In fact, everyone could see this woman's sins. Everyone knew of this woman's sins and her lifestyle. The sad reality was that Simon didn't see his own sin. And he was just as much in debt to God than this woman was. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem with Pain, says this. He said, prostitutes are in no danger of finding their present life so unsatisfactory that they cannot turn to God. However, the proud, the self-righteous are the ones who are truly in danger. No need of God, perfect as they are. Well, in verses 48 through 50, Jesus says this about, the, um, about this woman. He said to her, I love this, man. I mean, he didn't preach at her. He didn't tell her to go through all these little religious hoops. He just, this is what he said. He said, your sins have been forgiven. And then those who were reclining at the table with him began saying to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? I don't think we have it on the screen, but in verse 50, Jesus says, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, so go in peace. That is the gospel in a nutshell. That is how simple the gospel is. You bring your brokenness to Jesus, and he says, I forgive you of your sins. You bring your wrecked life to Jesus, and Jesus says, I will restore your life. You bring your mess to Jesus, and Jesus says, I will deal with your mess, and I will make you whole again. The simplicity of the gospel just, I mean, it just amazes me. And then oftentimes we, we kind of bound it up with all these religiosity stuff that really doesn't matter in the end. So this woman comes to Jesus in her brokenness and her pain and her hurt, her emptiness. And, the, and she does what needed to be done. She lays herself at the feet of Jesus. Now, Jesus' response to her, again, should, be, should come at us as no shock. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, we have a Savior who is gentle. We have a Savior who, who loves people, loves them, unconditionally loves them. But his heart towards people who are far away from, from God's heart is unbelievable, unbelievably gentle. 
He doesn't rebuke. The only people that Jesus ever rebuked are the ones who were so smug and self-righteous. But for those who were just devastated by sin, no, 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 no. Never rebuked them. But just invited them to believe in him for all of their salvation. Well, Romans 5, verse 8 says this, and this is so poignant for this moment and for this woman. He says this, but God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet still on our sin, while this woman was yet still in her sin, while Simon was yet still in his sin, Christ died for them. Christ also died for us. While we were still in our messiness, while we were still walking in our darkness, while we were still walking in our hopelessness, Christ died for us. The same promise that Jesus gave the woman is the same promise he extends to you. That you are forgiven and you are saved. Now, what the woman had to do is she had to get up and she had to walk out that door or that courtyard, and believe everything that Jesus has said to her in that moment, that your sins are forgiven, your sins that are many are forgiven, and your faith has restored you. And that's the same thing for you and I, that when we come to Jesus for for salvation, and no matter how large our debt is, no matter how how hard we've lived our lives, no matter how much sin has just eaten away at us, when we come and we lay it at his feet and we say, Jesus, it is yours. I surrendered all to you. We have to have in that moment of confidence, and this is where faith comes in, to say, we believe that Jesus saves, and when he saves, it's permanent. And the same for you and I, whether we are $50 debtors or $50,000 debtors, he saves those who come to him for salvation. This morning, there may be someone in this room, someone online, that that may be you. And the simple invitation this morning is this. Come to Jesus. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10 basically says that. All we have to do is confess that Jesus is the Son of God and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we too shall be saved. It's that simple. Would you give your life to Jesus today? Would you trust him? Would you lay your burdens before him? Would you lay your sin down before him? Will you lay your self-righteousness down before him? Would today be the day of your salvation? If you're a believer in here this morning, would would this be your attitude towards what you've heard? What a great salvation we live under. What a great Savior we have. What a great and gracious and mighty God we serve. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message out of Luke today. This message that reminds us about how radical you are in regards to salvation. That no one is far from your ability to save them. No one is too far that you cannot rescue them. Your love for us is amazing. And so, Father, we are just like this prostitute. 
But Father, that we come before you and we lay all of ourselves at your feet. We lay our brokenness before you. But Father, we th- we're grateful that, Lord, that um, when we lay our brokenness before you, we can walk away healed and complete. So, Lord, we just uh, give you this time, and we ask that, Father, as we sing this last song, that you would just um, hear the cries of our heart. Maybe the cries of our heart is for someone that we know is very lost, very far from you, that, God, that you would somehow, some way, reach out and rescue them from their sins. And, Father, maybe this morning someone in this room is, is, is saying, I am, that, I am that person. I am that sinner. Lord, I pray that you would just hear their cries this morning and rescue them and save them. And for us who know Christ, Lord, we give you praise. And we're grateful that you have set us free from the bondage of sin and from unbelief. And you've made a way in heaven through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.